Good morning, church. How are you feeling? Feeling good? Uh, My name is Brandon. If you're new with us today, I'm the senior pastor here. Special welcome to you. Glad you're here. Hope you've been feeling welcomed as you've been here. Um, In March of 1921, there was a meeting that happened with the idea, the question, what would it look like to start a church in Bluffton, Indiana that would reach its community and bless the people in it. And then in June of 1921, that that idea became a gathering. They met underneath a tent, and First Church of Christ was born in June of 1921. That's according to the 60-year anniversary little pamphlet I found uh, someone gave me uh, just a few weeks ago. It was probably maybe my first week here, and it's just so good to see the history of this congregation. And today, in 2019, we're going to start to ask that same very question that they were asking in 1921. What is God calling us to today? What is God calling us to? Would God have us go there? Would God have us go here? What is God calling us to? So in this series, we're going to be looking at our mission. Why do we exist? What are we here for? We're going to be asking those kinds of questions. See, uh, with Jesus, when he came into the world, he had a very big mission. He was coming to save and to seek the lost. He said he was the doctor that came for those who were sick. He was the one who came and he healed people. He went to the outcasts. He went to the the people who no one else would go to. Jesus was one who would come in and step into our messes, and he was seeking to save us from ourselves, save us from our sins. And then he, that brought him to a cross, a Roman tool of death. You know, we look at the cross today and we think, oh, this is good. Like, I'm going to put it on my necklace and it's going to be great. But for the Jews of the first century, that's not how they looked at crosses. So when Jesus called his disciples, hey, pick up your cross and follow me. It's going to be great. They were not like, oh, this is going to be wonderful. They were like, oh, hold on. That doesn't make sense. But that led him and they understood then when he was hanging on that cross, paying for their sins, they started to understand what Jesus was really coming after when he came into the world. And then, if you know the story, the third day, this has actually happened, he rose from the dead. So, so church, we worship a man who we say is God, who died and then rose again. And then after he rose, he appeared to hundreds of people in the community. There was no guessing that, that this was Jesus. Everyone knew that it was this Jesus of Nazareth who had risen from the grave. And in Matthew chapter 28, he gives his disciples this, this rally cry, this mission, this kind of defining moment for them. This is what he says he wants them to go and do. Matthew chapter 28, this is what it says in verse 18. He said, Jesus came near and said to them, the, the disciples, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, you should listen up because I've got some power. You should listen up. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, this, when, when Jesus said this, this was his rallying cry for his disciples. Because he's telling them, I'm going to leave you. I've been with you for three years. I'm going to leave you. And now what do you want? Now what are you supposed to do? What do we do now, Jesus? And so this Jewish man comes to his Jewish 
apostles, his Jewish disciples, and says something that would have rocked their world a little bit. Because Jews didn't like other people. Jews were better than everyone else. They didn't spend time with Gentiles. And then Jesus says, what I want you to go and do is as you are going about life, I want you to make disciples of mine. But I want you to not just go to other Jews. I don't want you to just go to people who look like you and talk like you and think like you and have the same perspective you do. He said, I want you to go to all nations, every single person in the world, to the ends of the earth with my message. And I want you to make them into disciples of me by baptizing them and teaching them. See, this was the church's, the early church's answer to what is next. Why do we exist? What are we supposed to do? What is my purpose? That's what Jesus told them. And friends, uh, the cool thing is, the thing that happened uh, many centuries ago, many miles, thousands of miles away from us here in Bluffton, Indiana, we are a part of that very story. The story of God reconciling the world to himself. And that's pretty exciting because we get to be a part of that. So why do we exist as a church? What is our why? Why? Why are we here? What are we, what are we supposed to do? See, this is a really important question because when we lose our why, we lose our way. When we don't know why we are here, we just start to go through the motions. We don't live on mission. When we lose our why, we lose our way. What is God calling us to? What is next? Have you ever asked that question, God, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What, what, what are we supposed to do as a church? You know, in, in, when you think about it in that way, that we're part of that same story, that chapter is a little sliver of history that's called Bluffton 2019. A little tiny sliver. If you looked at the whole story, it would seem insignificant, but it's significant because it's here and now, and we have a community who needs Jesus. Amen? Yeah. So these are the questions we're going to be asking in this three-week series, Mission Advance. Uh, in 2018, the, the, the transition team started meeting, and they started asking all kinds of these same, very same questions, and they started to look at our mission statement, which is our mandate. Why do we exist? What are we supposed to do? And they started to re-clarify and recalibrate us toward this, and they kind of reworded it, and this is what they came on after lots of prayer and discussion. This is what the First Church of Christ exists to. We exist. The mission of First Church of Christ is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Lead generations. Generations. Hayden Shaw, he's an author of the book Generational IQ. This is the subtitle, Christianity Isn't Dying, Millennials Aren't the Problem, and the Future is Bright. I like that title because I'm a millennial. <laughs> but this is what he says uh, as far as uh, the difference between here and now today and what life used to be because I don't know if you knew this, but for the first time in history, there are five generations alive at the same time. And that's very different than every other time in history. This is what he says. In previous eras, there were only three generations. Only three. The old, oldest generation had the money and made the decisions, and the younger generation of adults raised the children and did what the older generation asked them to until their parents died, and then their turn came to be in control. Changes in families and churches came slowly and naturally with little disruption. 
So, so we live in a time, because we're living longer, where more of us have more differences than ever, and we're living with each other, and we have to figure out what does this look like to be the church in the 21st century. Because we're all, most, like, we, we have five generations. You, you know, things were probably, you probably think about, like, back in the day, whatever that day is for you. For me, it's a Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> but you think about in the past, and you think about, you, you ever thought about this? Things were such, they were so much simpler back then. Yeah? They are so much simpler. Well, guess what? Things are not so simple today, are they? Why? Because we have five generations, five backgrounds, and this isn't even getting into any other differences. This is just age. But we have five generations living at the same time, uh, and, and it makes it to where it's difficult to be the church in our day and time. Why? Because we all have our preferences. We all have those ideas that we want to get back to or go toward. And, and, and so it makes it kind of difficult, but church, we're called to lead generations to Jesus. Generations, not just one generation, not just your generation, not just my generation, but all generations to Jesus. It may look messy, but it's the messy thing that God is calling us to because Christ wants us to lead generations to him. And this isn't just the five generations that are alive today, but what would it look like for FCC, for First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana, to set ourselves up today so that we can reach another set of five generations hundreds of years from now? We're, we're like 98 years into this thing. If I did my math right. And again, they didn't teach me that in Bible college. Math. So uh, we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you have a Bible or a way to access the scriptures, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy uh, 6. So the, the situation with Deuteronomy, it's really unique. If, if you ever want to read it, Ma Moses is really just kind of recounting all the things that had happened uh, since God had delivered them. And so Moses is gathering his people. They had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years you know, I mean, that's, that, it's a, that, this, these people who were alive, that's all they knew. And, and God had called them to go to a place that he was going to give them this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, that just sounds good, right? Milk and honey. I don't even drink milk, but it sounds good when you say it that way. Uh, and, and so, like, they are on the precipice of going into this land and taking it for themselves. They had been living in the desert, and now they're about to go to the promised land. And Moses gets them together and wants them to just understand because in the midst of them getting the promise, in the midst of them getting what they wanted, in the midst of God giving them a blessing, God knew that they could then forget the one who gave them the blessing. You know that to be true? Maybe you've been asking God for something and then he gets it for you and then you get really infatuated with that thing or whatever that is and, and you start to forget the one who gave you the promise. So, so, Moses is really kind of diving into this. That there's a lot of anticipation in this moment. Uh, the Israelites are ready. But God wants them to really be ready. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. 
a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know about you, maybe, maybe it's a, a land flowing with Coca-Cola and Hershey's chocolate. <laughs> maybe that's better, I don't know. Uh, that'd be my choice. But, but the first thing I want you to notice on this is just that when he says this, he's, he's giving them this, this command to remember the things God had given them, these statutes and commands. And he says it's for you, and then who? It's not just for you. No, it's, it's for you, your sons, your grandsons. It's for your kids and for your grandkids, for, for their grandkids, for their kids, for them. It's not just a only you and God thing. And, and so he goes on, verse 4. Listen, Israel. Listen, Israel. He's talking to the whole nation. Okay. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This may sound familiar for those of you who were here last week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So first off here, listen, Israel. It's easy for us to start reading this and then start to apply everything just to our way of thinking, our culture, in, in our day and time. You see, for Israel, this was a command to them as a people. Okay? They had a people, a group identity. Much different than what we are used to here in the West. In the Western world, we are very much more uh, of an individualistic kind of culture. And so for them, they were a very much communal culture where, where the, the group is bigger than the individual, where the nation is more important than the individual, where the family is more important than the, than the individual. Um, and so when he's talking to them about all these things that you are supposed to go and do, He's saying, hey, you as a people have this in your collective heart. And just to give you kind of an idea of the difference between this, I was reading an article uh, and about this passage, and it's always fun if you read online articles to go in the comments section uh, because sometimes it's just craziness. It's like going on Facebook and seeing like a, a, you know, a thread that has 40 comments. And you're like, this is, get my popcorn ready, you know. This is, check this out. Uh, but, but this was really good. Like this was like a really good comment. Uh, and so uh, let me share this with you. This is what this gentleman said. He's a Korean-American. He said this, I'm Korean-American and coming from a culture that is totally communally oriented, almost to a fault, you must mask your individuality for the sake of the whole. I witness this all the time. I was in Korea a couple months ago and my wife and I decided to stop and eat at a street food stand. Okay, so they're, they're, just, at, they're just out on the town and, and they go to, to eat a eat some food at a stand, an older couple served us. We, we got to talking, and I told them that it was our honeymoon. Even though we had just met, she started to teach me how to be a good husband, and etc., like my mom or grandmother would do. Yeah, like that's just unheard of, right? My Americanness says that this is, a total, is totally a violation of boundaries, but my Korean side says that is completely normal. Completely normal. 
This is not an isolated incident. Living in such an individualistic culture makes it hard for us to understand the nuances of a communal society and sadly what it means to be the church together. And so he, Moses is giving this command to a people who thought that way. Like it doesn't matter if I'm your parent or not. Like I'm going to give you some wisdom. Why? Because we're, we're together in this. And that's what the church looks like. And that's why sometimes it's hard for us to give ourselves to true God-like, Christ-like love because it means that we are all mutually submissive to one another. That we get to encourage one another. We get to to correct one another. We get to uh, love one another. That's a both-and kind of thing. You have to give and receive. And and for those of us uh, who are, this this is our world, the Western world, you're from America or, you know, Western Europe or whatever, like if you're not from a society like this, then the idea of what God wants the church to really be is hard to grasp. It's hard for us to grasp it. And, and he says the goal here is he wants it to be in their, in their heart, which is the, the seat of not just their emotions, but of their mind, of their intellect as well. So I want your, these words to, to really dive deep into who you are and how you operate in this world. These words, this love for God, this love for people. But in order for this to happen, they had to continually tell of God's faithfulness to those who were coming after them. They had to continue to share what God expected from and for them. So, he says to repeat them to your children. Verse 7, repeat them to your children. So, so again, like he's talking to the nation here. And I mean, of course he's talking to parents here, but he's all, there's an element that he's talking to the nation together. And so when we're saying repeat them to your children, the your children is the people, the children in your nation. It wasn't just the children in your house. Because why? Because then he goes on and he says... Uh, you're, you're supposed to do these kinds of things. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Those are all like parent things, right? Uh, but, but for them, like the, multiple generations would have been living in the same house, okay? So, so this is an immediate family kind of thing. But then bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Like your, your faith is supposed to be public. It's not supposed to be private. It's supposed to be lived out on your sleeves. It's to be lived out even on your city gates to where whenever you leave your your, your place of living, wherever you leave your city, you would be reminded of God's words for you. You would be reminded when you returned of what God's words are for you. And I don't know if these are like, if he was saying this figuratively, the Pharisees took these things literally and, and Jesus kind of criticized them for that. So, my guess is that Moses was, was just making a, a figurative, metaphorical point that you should have them be a part of your life everywhere you go. That we are supposed to repeat them to our children. How do you change a culture? How do you change a culture? Children. Kids. That's why it's so important that we raise our kids in the Lord. Uh, because it's easy for God's faithfulness them to be aware of that, it's easy for them to lose it if it's not repeated to them, if we don't stress it to them. 
So the vision, the call that, that Moses is giving them, that God is giving them, is that God wanted them to be a people that always elevated him in their midst. A people that constantly worshipped him. It's this vision, a, a call of a nation, of a group of people that had God as their king. God as their king. Not King David, not King Solomon, not King Saul, not any of the others that came after them, but God's intention for them was that they would be a people who would be under him. God is their king. And so repeat this to your children, a people that didn't forget him when they received the promise. Verse 10, he says this, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build. Again, you're, you're receiving this from God. You, this, this is not something you can brag about. This was already here. Houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with. Cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. This is a gift from God. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. See, God knew that if they got focused on what they were getting, on the blessing in their lives, then they would forget him, the one who gives them the blessing. It was going to get easy to become distracted. In our world, in America, when we got everything we need and more, it's easy for us to then lose sight of our need for God. Like, when, when Jesus is talking to the, young, the rich young ruler, and he says, it is, it is like, for a rich person to get into heaven, it's like, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. That's not, that's not possible. And the disciples recognize that, and they're like, hey, Jesus, what, what, what is, where, where's the hope for the people who, who've got some resources? He says, well, with God all things are possible. But you know who he was talking to there? Not just a rich young ruler back then. Us. We are in the top 2% of the world's economic. Like, we are the 2% anyone in America. And so we have to recognize that it's easy for us to lose sight of our need for God because of that. Because we have everything we would, never, we would ever want. And unfortunately, they eventually did forget him. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, that that whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. How tragic is that? How tragic is that? So what's at stake? What's at stake? What's at stake is, maybe when I ask you this, a hundred years from now, what will be the most important thing in the life of the children in this church and in this community? A hundred years from now, what will be the most important thing in your grandkids' lives, your children's lives? the other kids' lives in this community, in this church, what would be the most important 100 years from now? Not whether or not they made the soccer team. No, that won't matter. It's whether or not they had a relationship with the king of kings. Yes? So what's at stake? See, I, I, I've got a testimony, right, that, that people like to hear because it's like this, this picture of like, like black and white. There was this moment where everything changed. But you know what I want for our church and for our community and for all the world? I want to hear less testimonies like mine. 
It breaks my heart when I hear someone share their story with me and they discount it because they grew up in a Christian home. They stayed faithful. Yes, they, you know, they had those moments where they strayed away, but then they continued just faithfully following, continued faithfully following. Maybe they had some moments here and there, but they just continued with Jesus. And they're like, you know what? I, I just don't have that much of an exciting story for me. Like, it's just not that big of a deal. Like this has just always been, when were you saved? When did, you, when did it all make sense? Well, I was baptized here. When did it all click for you? I don't know. You know what? Like that's the way it's supposed to be. The way it's supposed to be is for kids to grow up in a home that repeated the commands and the statutes and the love of God and the faithfulness of God every single day and for them to walk in that, for them to struggle with it, for it to eventually become a faith of their own, not just a faith of their parents. And they have to struggle with it and we have to help them through it. We don't just let them be, but we have, we have to help them through it. We have to repeat it to them. We have to continue saying, this is how God has worked in my life. This is how God is working in my life right now. And so we don't have more kids growing up like me who did not know God in their whole lives until age 19, age 20, when they started spending time with people who had that very same story. I want to see more and more people in this community living a testimony of God's faithfulness from birth to the grave. Would that sound good? I think so too. Because I want to see more of those testimonies to be the case and for us to value that too. Not just the one who said, oh man, this was, I was a mess over here and then we're all messes. Even if we grow up in a Christian home. But God's faithfulness, we have to repeat it to our children, to our grandkids. You see, I, I think it's a, a really great and amazing and beautiful thing that we are a multi-generational church. A really good thing. That I, can, I can look out at this church and see people of all generations. That's a good thing. And, and it's not just a good thing just from a demographical standpoint, but it's a theological thing too. Um, in Acts chapter 2, the, the church begins, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is what it starts to say. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers, all the believers were together and held all things in common. Listen to this. Get this. I know you've heard this many times. It's a restoration church. Like, I get it. Like, you've, you've heard this plenty of times. Listen. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had, what's the word? Just say it with me. And as any had need, yeah. So every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Do you see what began happening? All the people started spending all their time together. All the people, which means families were spending time with other families. Multiple generations were spending time with multiple generations under the banner of Christ. Do you see this? It wasn't just simply like, I'm going to raise my uh, kids in my home and they're going to raise their kids in their home and that's just going to be kind of it. We're going to schedule some uh, moments to play together every now and again. That's not the picture of first century Christianity. 
That's not the picture of the early church. That's not the picture of what God wants for us. He wants us to be kind of a, a group that we're, we're kind of, we got my kids, I want them to have all kinds of aunts and uncles and grandparents that aren't blood related, you know? Because I want them to have a, a, a community of people who are guiding them and pointing them to the cross of Jesus and the love that God has for them. And I, I would imagine for the parents in here, you would want that too, Yeah? For, for, for grandparents, you would want that for your grandkids, amen? Yeah. They were, in a word, discipling each other. That's what they were doing. They were making disciples of each other. See, I think the church is meant to be multi-generational. I think it's meant to be that way. I think, it's, I think we are at our best when we have all generations playing their part, when we are all getting involved together. I think that's God's design. And I think we need every generation to play our parts. When God's church has every generation playing its part, God's church is at its healthiest. I fully believe that. Friends, we need every generation, all of us, we need everyone to play our parts. I'm convinced that all of us need each other. We, we all need people who have gone before us. We all need people who are going alongside us. And we all need people who are going behind us. Why? Because we need to be poured into. We need to be uh, you know, working alongside of. And we need to be pouring into others too. All of us, it doesn't matter your age, we all need those three kinds of relationships in our lives. We all have a part to play in this church. And the beautiful thing is when, when multiple generations get together under the banner of Jesus, we get to lay aside our preferences. Why? Because this is not about you and me. It's not about you, it's not about me. It's the beautiful thing of us trying to seek to serve each other. It's about the other person next to you. It's about them, it's about them, it's about them. It's not about you, it's about everyone else. So what does that look like in God's church? Well, it looks like a, a bearing of the cross every single day, denying ourselves of our own preferences and our own ideas of what, what used to be or what we want it to be, and us looking at, hey, not just those questions, this is the question we need to ask ourselves. What does God want? What, what does God want? Not what do I want, what does God want? What, what would connect with somebody else? What, what would that look like? Which, which means this goes all kinds of ways. This is not just for, for one generation to bear their cross and deal with things. It's not just for the other generation or other five to, to bear their cross and deal with things. It's for all of us to do the same thing together. And what would that look like? It would be beautifully messy. Yeah. It would be beautiful. It would be beautiful. It would be, sometimes I'm saying, you know, hey, what, yeah, that, let's go do that. You know, I'm like, eh, I don't know. And the same thing for you. What does it look like for us to be a multi-generational church? It looks like what God wants us to be. You know what God wants? He wants all people of all generations, all ages, all backgrounds, all nationalities, all races, all socioeconomic levels to be brought into his family through his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, hey, y'all, that's what's going to be uh, heaven. That's, that's new heavens, new earth. It's going to be all that. Yeah, and a bag of chips. Ruffles. That would be my choice. <laughs> so, so we might as well get ready for that. <laughs> In Deuteronomy 6, we see the power of a community coming around the family and discipling kids together. We see those two things happening. In the early church, we saw the same thing. And that is the picture I believe God is calling us to here at First Church of Christ. Can you imagine the picture of the church 
partnering with families in the home to disciple our kids together. What would that look like? What would that look like? It would mean that we all have a part to play in the discipleship of the generations coming after us, all of us. I believe when the church and family become one team for the glory of God, everyone wins, everyone. And that's why I'm excited to share that here very soon, we are gonna begin a search for a children's pastor at FCC. And, and, and just to kind of give you an idea of the kind of person, the traits of that person that we're going to be looking for, because I want the church to be partnering with us as families to raise our kids in the Lord. This is what we're going to be looking for, this kind of person, uh, a person who has a passion for seeing the church partner with parents, partnering with grandparents to disciple kids and leadership ability to turn that passion into action. That's the thing, like it's always a good idea but we need someone who's going to be the, the, the holding the banner and say, this is where we got to go and this is how we're going to get there. The second thing is uh, they're going to be a mobilizer of people. They're not going to be, uh, they're, they're going to follow the biblical calling of church leaders that, that we're not supposed to do everything. I don't know if you knew this, but the people on staff here are not supposed to do everything. We're supposed to equip the saints for works of ministry. That's what Ephesians 4 says. That's just the biblical part. I mean, get mad at the Bible, not me, Okay. So, so that means that we need to find someone who's going to mobilize us as a church body to then go and disciple kids. Uh, not, not for them to, to feel like they have to teach every class, do every little detail, but they will be someone who sees their role as training, equipping, encouraging, and mobilizing us, the church, to disciple the kids in our midst. And, and I, I just want to say, like, I'm excited for the future, but I am super grateful and thankful for the present and our past because we've been served by an amazing team led by Kristen Dodderman, uh, who has been faithfully serving our kids' ministry this, this past year alongside of her team of April Dunwitty, Laura Oswalt, and, and, and Lindsay Feinberg. Uh, so church, could you just show them your appreciation? I hope you do appreciate that work that they've been doing. I'm excited for what is to come and they are too. They are too. See, I want us to be a church that is multi-generational, that is leading generations to Jesus. And I think you do too. You see, I wholeheartedly believe that all of you have a part to play to what FCC is becoming in the future and what it's becoming today. Because here's the truth. The reality is all of us are called to lead generations to Jesus. All of us. That wasn't a commandment just for the apostles. We're all called to make disciples. We're all called to make disciples of all people. All of us, you, me. So the question is, what part will you play? What part are you playing? I know that there is so much Holy Spirit indwelled gifts that are in this room, that are in this church that could be a blessing to kids in our midst. That you may think, oh, I don't have anything to offer. You may think, I'm not ready. That's a perfect attitude to be ready. When you think you don't, you're not ready, it's a perfect attitude. That's who we want. So I've got two big requests as we end our time together today, okay? Uh, first, in your program, if you've got one, and if you don't have one, there are extras out here on the registration table of the sheet that I'm talking about. It's a children's ministry sign-up sheet, okay? And, and what I would encourage you to do is just consider joining the team. Because they have a big need. 
They have multiple needs downstairs and multiple needs upstairs. And this is, these are needs that have, uh, basically, if you don't want to teach, they've got a job for you. If you want to teach, they've got a spot for you. If, if you don't want to talk to anybody, they've got a spot for you. Okay? We've, we've got opportunities for you. Uh, and so I, this is the beautiful thing. Uh, dive in. Give it a shot. You're not signing your life over to the children's ministry, okay? Like, it's just, you can join, check it out, 30 days, give it a shot. Because there are so many kids in this church and in this community who need you. They need you. The stories of your faithfulness, the stories of God being faithful to you when you weren't your presence. Because your presence will be a present to them. They may not always remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And you'll be a part of a legacy of people having their faith stick throughout their lifetime. And that'd be a beautiful thing. And the second thing is I just want to ask you to start praying for the search as we start to seek out who God has set apart to lead our children's ministry here at FCC. So please join us in prayer. Please consider signing up. And, and if you decide to sign up, you can use that little sheet that's in the, the program today. Fill it out, and then there's a spot. There's a little basket on the registration table as you leave here. It's on the right-hand side. It's at the table right on the right-hand side. You will not miss it. If you try to miss it, I'll, I'll make sure you don't miss it if you're trying to find it, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, to quote Hayden Shaw again, author of Generational IQ, this is what he said. We've been telling young people for 20 years that their generation could be the difference makers, that their lives could be big and they're dreaming too small. It's time to tell their grandparents the same thing. God's not done with you yet. He's not done. FCC, I believe we're being called to lead generations to Jesus. And friends, that's what we're going to do. Let's pray.